Welcome to the Shadron Berean Church Podcast, where you'll find some of the latest teachings from Shadron Berean Church in Shadron, Nebraska. We are a loving community of believers growing in God's grace in Christ together. The heartbeat of our church is to have deep roots in the Word of God and to bear fruit by passionately applying it to our lives by His power for His glory. And we thank you for joining us. I found an article that gives us 30 different things that we should do to be better people. 30 things that we should do daily to be better people. Things like be grateful, smile, uh, make someone else smile. Exercise, drink enough water, reduce time on social media, spend time outdoors, uh, get enough sleep, read an inspirational quote, listen to inspiring music, say positive things to yourself in the mirror. Okay, I kind of laughed at that one too, but since laughter is on the list of things to do daily, you can check that off too. As I was scrolling through this list of 30 things that we should do daily to make our lives better, I was thinking, I wonder if prayer is on this list. That's why I clicked on it. I was just curious. And to no surprise, prayer was nowhere to be found. Uh, Neither was reading your Bible. But prayer is something that the Bible not only tells us to do daily, It tells us to do at all times, to pray without ceasing. Prayer is something not just to do daily, but at all times. And according to Jesus, it's something that's going to have a tremendous impact on our well-being. It will actually make our lives better. So that's what we're going to talk a bit about today. Uh, If you have a Bible with you, please turn with me to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 is the portion of scripture we're going to be in first. We're going to be in Luke today. This is the fourth of five messages so far in this plugged into prayer series. Today we're going to focus on staying plugged in at all times. You know, some of your appliances are appliances that you want plugged in at all times, like your refrigerator. You don't unplug it. And as Christians, we need to be connected with Him at all times, with God the Father at all times through prayer. We weren't made to be disconnected from God. The scriptures that we're going to look at this morning are both from Luke, one in chapter 11, one in chapter 18, and they're both parables from Jesus about prayer, and they're they're unique parables of Jesus as well, and we'll talk about that. But first, we're going to look at the parable of the shameless friend. Verses 5 through 10. Verse 5 says, Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. 
And from inside he answers and says, Do not bother me, for the door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because... And he won't give any... Okay, restart. I'll tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And we'll stop there, pause there. Uh, Among the Gospels, Luke is known for portraying Jesus as a person of prayer. If you want to see the prayer life of Jesus what a life of prayer is like, you go to the Gospel of Luke. Luke emphasizes it. Jesus often left the crowds, he left the disciples to pray in secluded places, especially when there was a big decision that was coming up in his life. One time he prayed around the clock at night, and that was the habit of his life. He was a man of prayer. And you see that in verse 1. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he finished, one of the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. So they see Jesus in prayer. He comes back from prayer, and they say, they recognize the importance of praying. And they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And so what he does in verses 2 through 4 is he teaches them again uh, the Lord's Prayer. That's a different occasion than we looked at, I think, in Matthew chapter 6. We looked at the Lord's Prayer in detail a couple of weeks ago. And if this is a different instance, then what does that tell us about prayer and his teaching on prayer? He taught it more than once, which tells us it's important. But Jesus follows up the Lord's Prayer, what we might call a model or outline prayer, with a parable that we call the parable of the shameless friend. And what's different about this parable and the other one that we're going to look at today is that the teaching is not by comparison, it's by contrast. Jesus is going to teach from lesser to greater using people who are not like God to teach what God actually is like. So instead of comparison, it's by contrast and he's going to use these parables to make a strong case for the value of persistent prayer based on who God is. And the first parable involves hospitality here. In the Near East, hospitality is a basic law. It's like a cultural law. You'd be surprised to hear me say that a lot of Muslims are actually more hospitable than Christians because it's a sacred duty to be hospitable and it should be for us as well but over there it is definitely more worked into their culture and in the ancient near east when they didn't have the luxuries that we do like an air-conditioned suburban or you know car whatever you want to do you just throw all of your kids in the, in the back of the suburban and jet down the highway any time of day, they would, in that hot climate, sometimes travel at night because it's too hot to travel 
during the day. And that's why this guy shows up at midnight. On knocking on his friend's door looking for a place to stay. And they didn't have cell phones, so they didn't know people were coming. So they showed up unexpectedly at night. Like this man's friend does. And if you had a guest show up like this, you were expected to provide food and lodging for them. And if you didn't, it was an honor and shame culture as well. It would be a shame on your reputation because you didn't provide hospitality for them. So not being hospitable would, would bring shame on you, on your family, and even on your village if they didn't meet that person's needs. It's interesting. Uh, different culture. But Jesus invites his disciples to envision this scene. He says, imagine that you, the person responsible for hosting an individual who arrived at midnight, aren't prepared to host them at all. You are, again, you have to think of a, a poorer, smaller village, one-bedroom houses, everybody sleeps in the same room kind of thing. Uh, this, the first guy here, you, right, you, you don't even have enough to provide them with an evening meal. You don't have a few loaves to spare because you are reliant on, your, on the daily bread. And so you... Not having the means to provide, have to go and knock on your friend's door or your neighbor's door and ask them for bread to help provide for this friend of yours that's come to visit. But you go at midnight, you knock on the door, and, and your, your friend is grumpy, as anyone you would expect. Uh, leave me alone, it's midnight, I'm in bed already. And uh, this friend just says, I can't help you. But... Imagine that you badger this friend enough that with your persistent knocking and asking and seeking that he eventually gets up, though begrudgingly, to give you what you need. And he does it not because he wants to, not because you're his friend, but because you've just pestered him enough, basically. And if he doesn't answer the door and help you out, it's going to be shame on him and shame on the rest of the village. And remember, this is a small little village here, and you're knocking, and you're yelling at midnight, and everybody hears you. You're going to wake up the whole town kind of thing. You're going to wake up the neighbors. Everybody's going to find out no one provided bread. So what is Jesus teaching here? Is God the Father like this grumpy neighbor that we have to badger into answering our prayer requests? Well, he explains what he means in the next few verses. Let's look at verses 9 through 13. He says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Jesus is really trying to shape here their view of the heavenly Father. 
Fathers in the first century Roman world wielded uh, great power over their children's lives. Would a newborn be reared in the family? Would they be sold? Would they be exposed? That was their form of abortion, post-birth. Just exposed to the elements, throw them on the trash heap. Would they be killed? Would they be scourged? Would they be allowed to marry or divorce? The father decided a lot of these things. Now, the children depended upon their father's word, his authority. And that kind of authority is great in the hands of a good father. But what about your bad fathers? You basically control their lives and what's going to happen with them. It'd be terrible in the hands of a bad father, that kind of authority. And so the question being asked is, what kind of father is God? And he's making the point, teaching from lesser to greater, lesser being the example of the friend asked to provide bread, the greater example being God the Father. Uh, Basically, what Jesus is saying is that God the Father is not like this grumpy, unwilling friend. He is gracious. He is willing. The door is open. He's not going to tell you to go away when you ask Him for something. God's not going to say, I'm sorry, I'm in bed. It's midnight. Leave me alone. (laughs) Can you imagine? You don't have to badger God into answering your requests even at midnight we can go to God and we are encouraged to go to him anytime and pray some of the most genuine prayers are answered or asked at midnight he's not like us that's the point we can go to him shamelessly like this friend that there's a there's a word there uh, in verse eight the word persistence some translations translate that as shameless audacity this friend is knocking on his this house at midnight with shameless audacity persistence asking his friend to meet his needs and that's what we can do with God even to the point where it would annoy others if you know what I mean. It's going to annoy others, but not God. God desires to hear our prayers. I think that's the point being made. So we can pray in shameless persistence, knowing he desires to hear our prayers. That's the principle we're taking from this first parable. One man said, when we pray, we are not overcoming God's reluctance. How many of you feel like that sometimes when you pray? I've got to badger God into answering me. But we're not overcoming God's reluctance. We're laying hold of His highest willingness. And we don't have to be afraid or angry at His response. Notice, He's not going to give you a snake when you ask for a fish. He's not going to give you a scorpion when you ask for an egg. It sounds kind of silly. But that's the truth. He's not going to put a rock in your Happy Meal. He's not cruel. He's not deceptive. He's not going to play tricks on you. He doesn't play tricks on his children. He's not like us fathers. He's not going to exasperate us. He's going to answer our prayers in ways that are good. 
always working for our good, answering prayers for our good. He's generous, he's good, he wants to hear our prayers, and that should encourage us to pray. What a great picture of God this is. Some of us, we grow up in homes where the name of God is just negative all the time. He's a big bully in the sky who just likes to pick on us little guys. Jesus is saying the exact opposite. In view of God's character, in view of His generous, willing, gracious character, we should pray. And He commands us to pray. Look at that. He says, keep on asking, seeking, and knocking. Those are present active imperatives. You should keep on doing this because if such unwilling, sinful humans will honor persistence, how much more a loving, heavenly Father. One of the good gifts that he gives his children is the gift of the Holy Spirit. We see that come through in verse 13. Uh, It kind of seems out of place at first, but this, you have to think, is part of a greater body of literature that Luke is writing. And it's not just Luke, it's Luke and Acts. Luke is volume 1, Acts is volume 2, and This is really neat. This is a clue here that Luke is going to introduce that he ultimately uh, solves in his second volume in Acts. When are these disciples going to receive the Holy Spirit? Well, in Acts chapter 1, we find them in the upper room after his ascension, quote, continually devoting themselves to prayer, unquote, until the Spirit comes and the new age of the church age dawns. Isn't that awesome? This is a clue that Luke's going to answer later on in the book of Acts. And they received the Spirit that day as they were all in that upper room praying, continually devoting themselves to prayer. And we too receive God's gift of the Spirit and thus salvation when we call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save us, the one who died for us. So he does give good gifts when we ask him to save us. And it's the greatest gift you could ever receive. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit and thus salvation. And so uh, maybe you need to confess to Him today that you're a sinner and you need to trust in Christ as Savior. You would like to. And when you do that genuinely, you accept the gift of salvation, you'll accept that greatest gift you'll ever receive, which is the Holy Spirit who sets you free from sin. Not just from sin's penalty, but from sin's power in your life have some freedom over the sin nature but secondly let's look at the parable of the persistent widow here in Luke chapter 18 if you want to turn there now with me Luke chapter 18 verses 1 through 8 it says now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. Saying, In a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling. But afterward... He said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection 
Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry out to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So, this is another parable of contrast that we have here, and it's seated in the context of last day's discussion, uh, days that are dark and involve suffering for Christians in an unjust world. That's just what it's like for Christians in this world. It's unjust. We will be persecuted. But notice that this parable is explicitly for showing us that, verse 1, that at all times we ought to pray and not lose heart. And this is demonstrated through the contrast of the widow with the unjust judge. The judge is a person of power. He has authority. In one way, he's a good judge in that he's not impartial. He doesn't respect man, it says. But in another way, he's a bad judge because he doesn't fear God, and that makes him unjust. He's not following uh, the law of Moses for... uh, for the laws regarding widows. Uh, despite God's instruction to care for widows, most of them had, the widows had a very hard time getting by in that culture. And so the widow, on the other hand, she's the exact opposite. She is not a person of power. She has no power. She has no husband to represent her. She has no resources because she's poor. Most of them were. She cannot bribe her way in to the judge. She cannot friend her way into the judge's presence. She has no one to represent her. No advocate. And so she is a picture of complete dependence and helplessness and vulnerability. But while the unjust judge has no regard for her at first, she is incessant. She is unceasing in her pleas to get through to this judge. And she keeps coming to him time and time again, and he's essentially badgered into answering her request. It's a lot like the first parable. He's badgered into answering her request. The phrase in verse 5, she will wear me out, could be translated, she's going to give me a black eye. She's going to bruise me under my eye, meaning she's going to weary him. He's going to lose sleep. It's not doesn't mean she's going to punch him. He's going to lose sleep. He's going to lo- uh, have shame on his head as a judge because uh, she keeps coming to him. People see it. They hear about it. His reputation's going to be damaged. But again, this is not a comparison between us in the widow's position and the judge in God's position. It's not a comparison. It's a contrast. He doesn't respond to our prayers because we badger him to death. Remember the contrast, the teaching from lesser to greater. Let's look at this. The contrast, let's contrast the widow with ourselves first. What's the difference between us and the widow? She's a stranger to this judge that she's pleading before, but we're not strangers to God. We're God's children. She's a poor woman. She's a widow. She has no clout. She has no leverage, no access before this judge. But we, on the other hand, are children and heirs with Christ. We're blessed with all the riches in the heavenly places. Jesus is our clout. Jesus is our access. 
This courtroom, the earthly courtroom, was closed to her, but we have open access to the heavenly court of God at all times. And one of them's a lot more powerful than the other, I'll tell you that. She was promised nothing, but we have the precious promise that he hears our prayers when we ask according to his will. She pleased before an unjust court of law, but us before a heavenly throne of grace. So there's a stark contrast between us and the widow. But now let's contrast the judge with God. The unjust judge has to be badgered into responding to the woman that he cares nothing about. While God is a just and loving Father who is attentive to our cries and is deeply concerned with us. He does care about us. Big difference. In fact, he's not at all like this judge. He, the judge, was weary from this woman's pleading. Our God is never weary. Again, knock on his door at midnight if you have to. He's awake. You're his child. You can jump on his lap and ask him anything you want. His door's always open. He invites us to pray at all times. And he's always going to honor his name. The point is, if a widow received what is right from an unjust judge, how much more are God's children going to receive what's right from their heavenly Father who loves them? Understanding our Heavenly Father this way is an incredible encouragement for prayer. You have to have a right view of your Heavenly Father. But let's, let's sharpen the application a bit. Let's put it in the last day's context that it's in. Jesus is warning His disciples that they're going to be persecuted in the last days. Biblically speaking, the last days could be a reference to any time between His first coming and His second coming. We also know that as we near Christ's return, His second coming, it's going to grow increasingly dark, especially in those tribulation years before His coming. There's going to be intense persecution by the Antichrist of the tribulation saints. But Jesus never promised us a pain-free life, even in the age in which we live. We're not in the tribulation. That doesn't mean we're not going to experience tribulations. He said, if they persecute me, they'll persecute you also. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So life is not always a playground in this fallen world. I like to ask people who've been around a lot longer than me, is life more of a a battleground or a playground? Most of them say a battleground. Life's not easy in this world, is it? Even though we like to forget about some of the things going on in this world, there's suffering going on 24-7. There are unjust judges in this world. There are widows who are overlooked. There are women and children being trafficked around the clock. Thousands go missing every year in unsolved cases, murders, Rapes, all of that thing, many times involving drugs and drug cartels. 
exchanging drugs across the border for weapons and cartels overcoming the police. You know, these things go on around the clock. Healthy Christian values are replaced with selfish lusts. We celebrate pride for a month and our veterans get one day out of the year. It's a pretty messed up world. It's a very messed up world. But someday, Jesus is teaching that he's going to come and he's going to set things he's going to set things straight. Someday he will come and set things straight. He'll bring the justice, he'll bring the restoration to this world that we long for. But until then, until then Jesus says to pray. He says you can either pray or you can lose heart. You can pray Or you can lose heart in this dark world. The King James Version says, you can pray or you can faint. It's our choice. And the wise choice is obviously we should pray and pray at all times. That's what he's teaching. Some of you guys have probably left the movie theater recently. After watching Sound of Freedom thinking... It's a dark world, and I need to pray at all times for these children. I haven't seen the movie, but I watched the documentary that sparked the movie, and they showed real camera footage of going into brothels and saving these children. It's, it's a dark world. But the antidote to despair and living in this suffering world is not positive thinking. It's not talking to yourself in the mirror, telling yourself how great you are. It's not determination. It's not telling uh, yourself that you can do whatever you want to do, that I can make the change. I can make the changes happen in this world. It's not that. It's the opposite of that. It's dependence upon God in prayer. Dependence upon God in prayer. Staying connected to the Father. That's what Jesus is teaching. Think about the difference that having a loving father makes in this world. Imagine most of us know what it's like to be a kid and to have been shopping with them, maybe shopping with your father somewhere. You're in a big big store like Walmart or something that, like that and and as long as you're with your parent, as long as you're with your father, you're safe, you're secure, you're carefree, honestly. As a kid, you're walking around, you're having fun. But it's, what happens as soon as you lose sight of your father in that store? Panic. Your heart starts to beat. You start to get anxious. You start to worry. You start The fears, the insecurity starts to set in. You realize you're lost. All of a sudden, you're, you're no longer carefree and everything's out of control because you're not connected with your father anymore. That's what it's like in this world when we're not connected with our sovereign heavenly father who's in control, working for our good, even in a world of suffering. His presence brings well-being to our lives, but we've got to stay connected to him in prayer. And so this is why we 
Jesus says, pray at all times. Pray without ceasing, Paul said. What does that even mean? Well, we know from Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8, that when he's talking about praying without ceasing, he's not talking about repeating prayers all day long. He's not talking about reciting prayers. It obviously cannot mean that we should just become monks and, and have our heads bowed all day long and be on our knees or whatever. No, we have, we have lives to live. You can't be in that posture all day long. It doesn't mean that we're supposed to be talking all day. It means, I think, that we're supposed to look at prayer as something that for the Christian is just as natural as breathing. It's something that we don't even have to think about anymore because it's the habit of our lives. We're just going through the day, going through the day, communing with God, talking with God. We're living with God in mind. It's a continual God consciousness. You know, when I wake up, when I drive to work, when I work, when I eat, when I spend time with family, I'm I'm operating with a prayerful heart, thinking, how can I be praying in this moment? And I'm aware of God and my need for Him in this situation. I've told you guys several times how, you know, sometimes if I'm, I'm driving down the road and I see you, you're driving, you're, I'm driving down the road, you're driving down the road, or you're walking or something, and I wave at you, a lot of times I'm praying for you. Not always, because I'm, I don't know, sometimes I forget to pray too. But I do, I like to pray for you. When I see someone, I'm driving down the road, I pray for you. That's a way to pray continually. My wife's grandpa, he was a mailman, so he'd walk around and deliver mail house to house praying for these people. As he delivered mail, he'd ride his bike around town and just pray for people as he thought about them. Now, some of you farmers or ranchers, you can pray for hours out there on the tractor. You don't need no radio. You're just out there praying and the time flies because you're just talking with your heavenly fathers. Doctors, going from room to room, meeting with patients, praying for their patients. Again, that doesn't mean they have their head bowed and they're on their knees. It just means that they're communing with God, asking for wisdom, praying for these people, praying that they'll come to know the Lord. It's a prayer consciousness. I mean, if you're happy, you thank God. Are you confused? Ask God for wisdom. Are you weary? Ask God for strength. Is your kid acting up? <laughs> Can you pray for your kid? Instead of just telling them to quit doing that? That's one I've been working on. Instead of just saying stop, Pray for them and then pray with them. I gave uh, one of my children the opportunity this week because they were acting up, and I said, yeah, we, can either, we can either experience some discipline or we can pray. What do you want? They said, let's pray. Right? And it's, we just prayed together. You know, it, it, was a, it was a wonderful thing. I'm not forcing a law down their throat. I'm trying to cultivate real heart change. Especially towards their siblings. Just kidding. But you know, if there is something that's happening over and over again in their lives, I know it's, it's time to pray with them about it. Just telling them to stop doesn't do it. Guys, prayer is powerful. Let's think about how we can weave it in to our lives more and more. Pray with them. Prayer helps. 
fact, sometimes we're ineffective as a church and as parents and, and wherever we're at because we're not praying. And by not praying, we're expressing our dependence upon ourselves and not upon Him. But in closing, you remember those 30 things? I didn't tell you all 30 things, but you remember some of those 30 things I, I mentioned at the beginning that we can do every day to make our lives better? There was one of them, they said, that you should talk to yourself in the mirror each day and tell yourself how great you are. How about, instead of talking to yourself, you talk to the Heavenly Father? There's a lot of things we can do daily, but there's one that we just can't live without. And it's not just daily, it's all day, and it's, it's prayer. So, Let's take prayer and put it at the top of the list. And it's not just a daily thing, it's an all-day thing. All God's people said, Amen. Lord, we thank you so much for Christ, our Savior, the one who died for us to save us from sin's penalty. If anyone's made a decision here for Christ this morning, we praise you for that that they've been reconnected in that way, that relationship has been restored, but we also know, Lord, that that relationship doesn't just stay there. It's to grow. We're to grow in Christ and grow in our relationship with you. And so much of that, that brokenness and restoration is going to come through prayer as we focus on you. Lord, help us not to see prayer as just some activity that we do. If we see it that way, we're going to get bored. There's a lot more fun activities we could do, I'm sure. But help us to see that this is not just an activity. This is about reconnecting with you, developing a relationship with you. And I pray that your spirit would give us a sense of that priority that we would understand. As Paul prayed in Ephesians 1, what is the hope of our calling? what we're to really be about. We thank you that you're not like the unjust judge and you're not like the grumpy neighbor friend. But your door is always open to your children and you desire to hear our prayers. We love you and we thank you for that and ask that you would apply this message to our lives as we go about our week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.